Well, good morning again. My name's Andrew. Um, it's, such a, it's such a joy to be here. That is a massive hole. All our kids just went downstairs. Like half the room is in. This room is going to tilt this way. It feels like. um, but it's, it's really great to be able to, to be with you this morning. We're glad that you're here. Um, I'm one of our pastors here. There's, there's a few of us floating around, so we'd love to meet you and, and get to know you and, and help you, you know, find Jesus and plug into what we're doing here. So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and take that out. We're going to be, as, as Katie just read for us, in Romans chapter 13. We're going to be in one, 1 through 5 today, continuing in our long and adventurous and deep and fun and challenging journey through the book of Romans that we've been on for the past several months with a few breaks to catch our breath. Um, so our text today is um, it's one of these texts that in a, in a long line of, of things that we've been working through for the past couple of weeks, it's one of these texts that um, is challenging to us. You know, when we read these sort of blunt, straightforward words of, of God through Paul telling us, like, hey, here's what it is. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of, uh, uh, on, the, on the surface level, not a lot of deep sort of interpretation work. Now, once we get past that surface level, there's, there's nuance to be applied. But, but when we read these words, it, it's pretty simple for us to at least understand the concept of what, Paul is trying to show us here in this text. As we've, uh, the past few weeks, we've been in Romans chapter 12. And as we talked about, as, as Paul is working his way through this letter to the church of, of Rome, he, he, sort of, he sort of shifts the conversation in chapter 12 away from, here are these grand, beautiful um, details and glorious explanations and, and declarations about what the gospel is who God is and what God has done and who God says that we are now because of all of these things about God and what He's done. And He's just, he's just laying out this, this gauntlet of just beautiful, deep truth about what the Gospel is and what it does to us. And he, and he says, okay, now because of this, right at the beginning of chapter 12, if we remember, He says, he says now because of this, we can, we can begin to take these things and, and, and work them down into, sort of knead them into our lives. So what does this actually mean for us now as we try to live out what God has, has called us to in our day-to-day lives, in, in, the, in our interactions with one another, in our interactions with, uh, with God in the church, in our families, and, and now even we see with the places in which God has placed us. But, but right in the, in the beginning of chapter 12, he, he gives us this really helpful sort of perspective reminder, right? He says, we do these things, we, we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, but we don't do that out of a place of motivation of fear, of God's wrath, of God's condemnation. We do it, he says, in the view of, as we look back on, God's mercy. He says we, we do these things because we're able to look back, and we're able to see what, who God is and what He has done and what He says to be true about us now, he says, okay, now we, we do these things from that perspective. That is our motivation. We have been shown great mercy by God through Christ to rescue us and to save us and to make us His people. And because of that, now we are safe and we are secure. And we have been commissioned now to go and be His people in the world. And there's, there's substance to that now. And it's not, it's not that we walk around uh, towing the line because we're afraid that God's going to whack us with the big stick from heaven. He said, no, we, we do this now because we've been loved. We love because we have been loved. We show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We, we, we treat other people 
in the same way and shape and form that God has treated us. Give, give shape to what we do. God has done the saving. God has done the adopting. He's done this spirit implanting work where He's given us His own presence, His own spirit inside of us that we carry with us wherever we go now. This is significant. And so here now we get to chapter 13 and he continues in what seems on the surface to be sort of a very a, a list of sort of very hard things for us. Very hard things for us in our flesh to hear and to receive and to act out. And here we find in verse 1, he says this. Let every person be subjected to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And just for clarity, when he says governing authorities here, he's talking about the governing authorities, the government around us, the, the, the things that we look to to provide laws for us, to provide uh, all of these things. This is what he's talking about. It's not, not like a mystery. It's not like a, a, a layered thing that we have to go, well, what's he really mean? No, it's, it's pretty straightforward. He's talking about our government that God has put around us, as it says here. And so first, the first idea that we come in contact with here that collides with us is that government, governmental authorities, it's God's idea. It's, God's, it's, his, it's his idea. He came up with the idea. It's what it says right here. He, he, they've been instituted by God. He started it. And once again, as with this long list of things that we've been reading about, this idea, when, we, when it first hits our minds, we can have the tendency to, to go to want to question and want to sort of disprove or immediately sort of run to all the, the ways in which we wouldn't have to do that. Can I just tell you that that's, that's a bad way to read the Bible? That's a bad way to read God's Word. To read something that God says very clearly to us and go, okay, I hear what you're saying, I agree, but let's just pile up as many things of a stack of, of ways that I can actually not do that or like get really close to not doing that. What's the farthest I can get away from you, God? It's kind of what we're saying. When we hear hard things that God says to us, like, yeah, but what's my line? How far can I go? That's, that's, just, that's a bad way to approach what God says to us. We shouldn't be asking how far away can we go from you and still be okay. We should be, we should be going the opposite direction, right? This is what repentance is. This is what walking in faith is. It's going toward God. Okay, God, how can we get as close to you as we can? How can we get as close to what you're asking of us as we can? Not how far away. So when we hear these hard things from him, we have to fight against that tendency to go, okay, how far away can I go? And just like, look at, let's look at some of these things that we've just read in, in the end of chapter 12 and even now in the beginning of 13. When God says things like, bless the people who persecute you. And we go, okay, but what are the exceptions to that rule? Can we get, can we get a nice hefty list of exceptions here? Never avenge yourselves. I mean, come on. I mean, there's probably a few instances, right, God, where can you just never be wise in your own sight? Feed your enemy. And then and, and, and in our text today, every person has to submit to the government that God has put in place. 
Those are hard things. They're hard things for us to hear. They collide with our flesh oftentimes. So I understand. But it doesn't give us a pass. It doesn't give us a pass to go, okay, how can I sort of kind of reject this, but also mostly hold to it? It's like, no, God is being very clear with us what he expects of us. This is where we have to fight that urge to run towards loopholes or exceptions. There may be some. There may be things that we can talk about in the nuance of this. But what Paul gives us here in this particular text, he doesn't give any loopholes. He doesn't give any exceptions directly. We can infer some in, and we'll talk about those later. But, but he's, he's laying down a principle for us. He's laying down a command of God and a principle for us to follow that's very clear and direct. And anytime he does that, it's, it's good for us to not immediately try to find ways to not do it. We look at verse 2. He starts to give us a little bit of what will happen, right? He gives us a little bit of a therefore. He says, Every person is to be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And then, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So instead of giving us a bunch of loopholes and exceptions to the rule, he actually pushes it in further, right? He's pushing it in deeper. He's like, so you have to do what God is saying here, and and if you don't, there's going to be judgment of some sort on your life. What he's describing here is he's describing a God-ordained institution. A God-ordained institution. Something that God came up with and put into place. And anytime God does this, anytime he ordains, plans, provides for some sort of an institution within humanity... It's for our good. And we have to understand this. Anytime that God, a, God or, a God-ordained institution is for our good and it's for our flourishing. This is God's heart behind this. It's not, it's not God's heart that His people would be under His wicked and harsh rule. That's not the God that we serve. That's not the God that we see in the Bible. We see a God who gives us flourishing and life if we follow His ways. So what are, what are some other things that God has instituted? So he's ordained to be instituted. Well, the church, God has ordained that the church would be a thing. He says, this is a thing. I'm telling you it's a thing, so it needs to be a thing. And keep it going until I tell you to stop. And I'm the one that gets to tell you how to run it. I'm the one that gets to tell you what it looks like. You listen to me, and you do what I say, and it's going to go good for you. The family. God came up with the family. A husband and a wife, getting married, having children, He's given certain roles and, and procedures within the family, levels of authority, that children are to obey their parents. These are good things. He's saying, if, if these are things that I have put into place. I came up with marriage. I came up with family. These are my ideas. And so we are to hold to them, and we are to look to God to help us to define them. We don't just get to go, oh, well, let's just figure it out. God, God's given this idea. Let's just run with it. No, no. We, we hold to what He's given us. And here we see that human governments are something that is instituted by God. He puts in place. And now in our country, where we live, you hear about this idea of the separation of church and state. 
And that's an important topic. It's very important. But this text is not talking about specifically, in this instance, the relationship between the institution of the church and the institution of the, the state. Ultimately, the church doesn't answer to the state and the state doesn't answer to the church. They both answer to God. This text is talking about the relationship between the Christian and the state. So the church does not submit to the state as an institution. Christians within the church do. That's what he's saying here. And the takeaway for us so far is that both the Christian and the government are to be submitted to God. Everybody's submitted to God in this whole thing. If God's the one that's putting these things in place, all of these things fall under him. He's the one with the ultimate authority over and above all of these things. And God says that within that relationship, the authority has been given by God to the government and that Christian is to submit to God's authority by submitting to the government. That's what he's saying here. Again, maybe you feel it kind of colliding with you. Maybe you feel it kind of hitting you going, but yeah, but I want that loophole. Come on, somebody give me a loophole. Throw me a a bone here. We're not getting there yet. I I want us to sit in it. I want us to feel the weight of it. I want us to feel the weight of the principle that he's giving us. Because he's very clear with it. if 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 there were easy to find loopholes, he would have put them right here. And yes, this includes governments that we disagree with. We may, we may look at our government or some other government and say, I disagree. This includes governments that are quote-unquote secular. This includes evil and unjust rulers. Even governments that are not so friendly to Christians. Remember who Paul's writing this to. He's writing it to the church in Rome. Do we know anything about the church in Rome? He was writing it to the church in Rome under a guy by the name of Nero. Do we know anything about a a guy named Nero? Now, maybe at this time he probably wasn't as crazy as he got to be. He probably wasn't. But Paul didn't say, okay, church in Rome, you need to submit to Nero unless he starts going a little bit crazy. He doesn't say that in here. Unless he does things that you disagree with, then you don't have to submit to the government anymore. Paul himself, one could describe as an unjust ruler at some point before he became a Christian. He was an unjust agent of the government, in his mind, going about and executing what he thought to be right in a very unjust and evil way because he was actually killing Christians. And he thought what he was doing was exactly right. So he gets it. He understands that it's possible for there to be unjust and evil rulers in the world. He's not naive to that. Now, does that mean that he's saying that it's all fine and good for rulers to be unjust and evil? No. Certainly not. The Christian is under God's authority and so are the authorities that God has put over us. Unjust and evil rulers will have to answer to whom? To God. They will answer to God. 
And God has plenty to say in His Word about what will happen to unjust and evil rulers in this world. He has a lot to say to them. I'll give you one example. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1-4. through He says this, Woe! Whenever you see that word in the Bible, pay attention, because it's about to get bad. Woe! To those who decree iniquitous decrees, sinful laws. If you're, if you're passing sinful laws, woe to you, the Bible says. And writers who keep writing oppression. To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. That widows may be their spoil and that they may make their fatherless their prey. What will you do, O evil rulers? What will you do on the day of punishment? In the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So if you're worried that God is turning a blind eye to evil and unjust rulers, you can rest assured that that is definitely not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's not passive. He's not up there just going, ah, shucks. And I really wish they would have got, ah, man, I wish they wouldn't. No, he, he's storing up wrath, it says. And that, that on the day of their punishment, there will be nothing left for them to do but to try and hide. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to... We don't have to worry that God is apathetic towards unjust and evil rulers in this world. But what we have to worry about is, what is our role now if, if we ever were to face them? So God's command and His expectation for us as believers is that we would submit to the government authority that He's placed over us. Well, why is that? Okay, well, in verse 3, he gives us some insight into why that is. He talks more about the purpose of this government. What, God, what does God intend for the government to do? What is, he's, he's made up this thing called the government, and he's instituted it. So what does he want that government to do? What's its purpose? What is his intended purpose for it? Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4, because he tells us pretty clear. Verse 3 in Romans 13, back in Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You thought Marvel came up with that. They did not. The purpose of government, according to God, is to constrain evil. That is the purpose that God has given earthly human governments to us by His design is that they would constrain the evil that is in the world. Now, on Wednesday, we talked about this idea of sin, right? In our Learning Week lecture. 
We talked about this idea of sin, and we, we talked about how at the core, there's a problem with the world, and that problem is sin. Sin is the problem. And God hates sin, and He knows that sin will destroy us unless He puts a stop to it. And this is part of why He has instituted government. This is why in verse 4, he says that the one in government authority is God's servant for your good. That's what he's talking about. And we talked on Wednesday about this idea of total depravity, right? This idea that each and every person is totally corrupted by sin. That every facet of our nature is poisoned by sin. All that we do is tainted by it. It's poisoned by sin. But we also talked about how that doesn't mean that every person is as bad as they possibly could be. We're all, we're all poisoned by sin, but, but that, that, that not every person is as bad as, and evil as they possibly could be. And part of the reason why that is true is that God has instituted government to help constrain the evil that is within man. That's part of His purpose, is to help constrain that, to, bring, to put fences around it. For those who, who trust Christ and for those who don't, the just and the unjust. There's a lot of murder in our world. We don't have to look far to see murder. But without laws and governments that punish murderers, there would be a lot more murder in our world. A lot more. And what we saw in Genesis where God sent a flood because the, the evil was not being constrained in the way that he thought necessary. And so he said, uh-uh, we're done. Flood. And God did not institute human government as a way to merely suggest that we do good. That's not the purpose of government, to give us suggestions as to how we should live, what's right and wrong. No. He has given the government the authority to punish wrongdoers as a way to limit this evil that's part of his plan it's part of his institution that he's made and it's functioning as it should it's punishing evildoers it's reigning in their evil i like what rc sproul says this he says government is force and it exists under god for one purpose to restrain evil for the survival, the protection, and the maintaining of human life and property. That's the purpose. It's a force. It's not a suggestion. God has instituted it with force, with, with teeth, to get the job done. When it's functioning right, when it's going the way that it should, it's a force to restrain evil and to allow life to flourish and good to flourish. And God's people to flourish. And even those who aren't God's people get to flourish because of common grace. It's better. Life is better. The world is better when governments are functioning the way that they should function. This is God's intention. And so God's idea is human government, but this only comes into existence after the Garden of Eden. There's no human government in the Garden of Eden. It only comes after sin. It comes as a result of sin. Let's look at verse 4. If we remember, 
at the end of chapter 12, God tells us that vengeance belongs to him, right? The vengeance is his. But we see here that one of the ways that God carries out that vengeance against evil is through human governments. We see it in verse 4. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It's, it's a, one of the ways that God carries out this vengeance. That he, that he upholds his name, that he upholds his glory, that he upholds his holiness. And he puts it on display by showing wrongdoers and evildoers that they're not going to get away with it. And sometimes they see that now. Hopefully they see it now and they turn to him. But sometimes they don't. This is what God uses. And so now, okay, these are heavy things. These are, these are not light things. Whew, let's breathe. Okay. Let's breathe. So what does this mean for us? What does this look like for us? How do we live in light of this? Uh, I'd like to propose just a few principles for us to think about. And a lot of this stuff, people may disagree, they may argue, and that's fine. There's a lot of, I have a lot of friends who disagree with me, who I think they love Jesus and they believe in him. These are the things that we can talk about. But in light of this, I think there's some things and principles that we can, we can draw from that can help us to think through how we submit to and engage with the government that God has put around us. So if, if human governments are instituted by God, that means that it would be wise and good for us to not only submit to them, but also in some ways participate in them. And there may there be some that would disagree with that. But I think it's, it's a freedom that God has given us to not only submit to the government that he's put around us, but to participate in the government because we believe it is instituted by God. And we want to see God's truth and his ways flourish in the world around us. So that gives us the ability and the permission by God to participate in said government. And that means that it's not, it's not helpful for us to think about the government in strictly secular ways. As if it's something outside of God's plan or his design. Or something that we should just stay away from as Christians and not care about. I've been guilty of this in the past. This is probably something that I've had to grow in. Been apathetic towards it. Frustrated by it. So that leads me to apathy. And what God's calling me here is, is to, to come back and to, to reconcile with what he's saying. Not to be apathetic. Not to just ignore it. But to, to think rightfully about it and how I should submit to the government that God has put in front of me. And maybe even how I should participate in it. And so in our context, that participation largely looks, through, looks like us voting. In, in our American context, that's largely what that could look like. Now, I don't, I'm not here to say that, that voting is a moral imperative that God is saying, if you don't vote, you're sinning. But I'm, I am saying that it, it is something that God frees us to do. We should feel the freedom to vote in the elections that God has graciously provided around us. I think that, that telling someone if they don't vote that they're sinning is improper. But I also think that telling somebody if they do vote they're sinning is also improper. And at the same time, we're not to look to the government to take the place of God. That is not its intention. The government sits under God's authority, so we should not idolize it. We should not expect more out of it than God has intended it to do. 
It is not God. It is not the place of God. It is not the only way by which God brings about His purposes and His plans. It is part of the way that God does that. It has its limitations. Mainly that it is filled with very sinful and flawed people. As is every institution. Including every one of our marriages, every one of our churches. They're all filled with flawed people, sinful people. So there's always going to be limitations. It is not wrong for us to desire that our nation's laws reflect the heart and the character of God. That's actually a good thing. That's actually the purpose of the government, is that they would reflect the character of the God that they are to be in submission to. In fact, it is a good thing for us to desire that and possibly to help bring about those things. So as pastors, within the church, one of the other institutions that God has set up, it is not appropriate for us to sit up here and to campaign for particular uh, parties or candidates. You're never going to hear us do that by God's grace. It's not our place. But it is our job to speak on the things that God speaks on in His Word. And this is something that God is very clearly speaking on in His Word. And there are other things that He speaks on very clearly in His Word. And what we see here is that He's clearly saying that we are to submit to government. And when we do, Peter says that it brings glory to the name of Christ. When Christians act as good civil people following the laws, obeying the laws of the land. This brings glory and honor to Christ. Puts Him on display. And when you think about the context that Paul is writing to in Rome, he's saying, don't give them any excuse for further persecution. Live as much as you can in, in 12, right? Live peaceably as much as you can. Galatians 5 talks about the the fruit of the Spirit. Against these things, there are no laws. There's no laws needed when we live in step with what the Spirit has for us. When When we're submitted to God and we're submitted to His ways and we're walking in His Spirit, we're walking in a way that's accordance to God. And part of that includes submission to what the government tells us to do. So that means if the government says tomorrow, okay, you guys got to pay 50% of your money goes to taxes. We can all go, oh, what? Yeah, Aaron just choked thinking about it. <laughs> right? We go, what? No way. And we can all say, we disagree. And what is Paul saying? Yeah, okay. We, you have to do it. You have to do it. And you could vote for the other guy next time, maybe that he doesn't have that rate, or whatever the case may be. But right now, that's what you need to do. Because that's what is being put in front of you. And so we know that the government is under the authority of God, and we know now, okay, we're finally getting you to the loopholes, okay? <laughs> we know that there could be, and, and probably will be, instances where a very flawed and sinful government might ask us to do things that would go clearly against the laws in the heart of God. And in those instances, we must humbly and boldly refuse to submit. 
in those instances, where it's clear that we're being asked to do something that very clearly violates what the government is supposed to be submitting to and what we are to be submitting to, to both of our authority, which is God, we humbly and we boldly say, we will not do that. Just like in a marriage or just like in a church, if the leadership is asking you to sin or to rebel against God in any way, you're not required to submit to those leaders in that way. Same with the government. It doesn't mean that if we disagree with the government that we don't have to submit. It's not what he's saying. Whether it's the form of government, whether it's the levels of taxes, whatever the case may be, it's not what he's saying. This only this applies when there are instances that we would be asked to clearly go against God's law. Then we look at them and we say, no thank you. If the government shows up and says, okay, you guys are done. Put the mics away. Turn them off. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. You're not allowed to preach the gospel. You're not allowed to meet in your missional communities. We go, thank you for your input. But we humbly and we politely say no, knowing that there may be consequences for saying no. There will be consequences for saying no at times. To say, no, thank you. This is what God has asked us to do. And you are to be in submission to him. And we are to be in submission to him. So he wins. And we cannot submit to you because you are outside of, you're asking us to do something outside of what he would do. This happened all the time in the New Testament. This happened with Paul. Paul's a great example of this. There were many times where they were like, dude, stop talking about Jesus. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to go outside right now and I'm going to do it right in front of your face again. <laughs> I'm like, well, we're going to beat you up. He's like, I know. I'll see you in five minutes. <laughs> right? He's, he, he's, he's humbly. He's not flaunting it. He's not, he's not trying to raise a, an uprising. He's just saying, no, no, we're not, I'm not going to do that. You're telling me to do something that's outside of what God has asked me to do, and I'm not going to do it. That's possible. And we should. So at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Do we trust God? That's our question. Do we trust Him? Do we trust God? Do we believe that He's good? Do we believe that His ways are good? Do we believe that His ways are better than our ways? Do we believe that the One who saved us from Sin and Satan and death is able to save us from evil and corrupt government? Do we believe that? Paul believed it. Peter believed it. They were killed for it. Paul was constantly abused and mistreated by the government around him. But he never lost heart. He never lost hope. He never lost what was at the core of what God was calling him to do. Because he knew that at the end of the day, that obeying Jesus was worth it. No matter the cost, no matter the circumstances, no matter how many times he was shipwrecked, no matter how many times he got a rock thrown in his head or punched by a police officer or whoever it was, no matter how many times that happened, he knew that obeying Jesus was worth it and that he would never regret obeying Jesus 
in any circumstance, no matter how dire it looks, no matter how bad it might be, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, he knew that to live was, to, was Christ and to die was gain. But that's the worst thing that the government can do to us, right? They could kill us. That's the worst thing that they got. And Paul's like, yeah, okay, go for it. If that's the worst you can do, This is why Paul says that. That's why he says this after he explains the gospel. <laughs> That's why he doesn't lead with, with this in the beginning of Romans. Romans chapter 1, submit to the government. No, he says Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power to save, and I'm not ashamed of it. And here's what that means. And also, submit to the government because of this. Because we're free to. In Romans chapter 8, a little bit earlier, if you remember, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ. Nothing. No government, no power, no persecution. It will not separate you from the love of God, no matter how bad it gets. And we shouldn't want it to get bad, but no matter how bad it gets, it will not separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ. That is our home. That is our truest, that's the truest thing about us. They cannot take away this, this secure and foundational love that Christ has for his people. That he purchased. And he sets us. This is what Ephesians 2 says. He seats us with Christ. We're seated with him. We're secure. We're safe. That's the safest place in the universe. In the, to, be, to be with Christ. So come what may, we will obey. We will obey, our, we will obey our King, which is Jesus. We'll listen to Him. And He says, it's good for us right now to listen to the government. That's what He's saying. And to work for its good. That's what the Bible also says, that wherever God places us, it's good for us to work for the good of that place. So let's do that too. And maybe you disagree. And we can talk about that. Because I'm, I'm learning. I, I told you, I'm, I'm a recovering, a apathetic person myself. But this is what God is saying in His Word. And so we have to do something with it. We have to come to Him and we have to sit before Him and we have to say, okay, here's what I got. Here's what I was raised with. Here's what I was taught. Here's what I've been watching on TV. And I need to bring this to you and say, I don't know, God, what do you think? Here's my party that I've been voting. Here's the, the things that I care about. Here's the work that I've been doing. Here's how I've been viewing this. God, what do you think? Is this, is this right? And he might go, yeah, that goes, that goes, that can stay. That one needs to go. Okay. And we go back and we, right? We, this is how we do. This is what we do. We bring everything to him and we submit it under his lordship. And we say, examine this. Please look at this. Because this is what I've got. This is what I've been doing. This is the operating principle that I've had. I need you to, to tell me if this is right. And he will. Because he's good. And he's faithful to us. And he loves us. And he cares about us. And he's not abandoned us. And Jesus says, before he goes, zoops up to heaven, he goes, guess where all the authority is? It's in me. All authority under heaven, earth, around the earth, under the earth, in the earth, outer space, all of it is found in him. That's where the, that's where the authority comes from. It comes from him. So all authority under that is shared authority. It's given authority. 
And that's a good thing because that's where we are. We are with Him. We are in Him forever. And there's nothing, as Romans says, that can take us away from His hand. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this truth. God, we need Your help. We need Your help here desperately. We find ourselves in a a unique cultural moment. And we're not, we don't want to be blind to it, God. But we want to live in such a way that honors you and glorifies you. We want to be able to submit to our government. But we, God, we want to, at the end of the day, submit to you. And so help us. Give us courage. Give us patience. Give us wisdom. And God, settle us in to the core truths that are underneath this truth. God, that we are yours, that we are your people, and that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and that it is always worth it to obey you. We praise you in Jesus' name.